Let's grab your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John chapter 13. So we're continuing our, our series called Challenged by Jesus, and, and we've been challenged, or at least I, I hope you've been challenged by means of looking at some of the powerful questions that Jesus asks. And some of those questions are the step-on-your-toes kind of questions. Others have been uh, more of the make-you-think-deeply, possibly do a bit of self-evaluation kind of question. And some have been motivating uh, types of questions. And I'm not sure which category this question falls into today. You'll have to let me know afterwards uh, what, what it hits. But what I can guarantee you is that this will be the last question from Jesus that we're going to look at this year. You should be in John chapter 13. Uh, The question is found in verse 12. Follow along as I read it out loud. It says, So when he, that being Jesus, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Father God, We thank you so much for the opportunity to worship this morning because you truly are great and wonderful. And God, um, it is a good thing for your people to gather together to express their praise to you. But God, we also come today expecting for you to do your work in our hearts and lives. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit would be free to move amongst us this morning that we would be challenged, encouraged, built up wherever you would need us to be this morning. God, we want to walk away today different than when we came in because we've grown closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... uh, The context of this particular question is perhaps one of the most famous, well-known incidents in in the Bible. Uh, But even so, I want to take a few minutes to describe it for us so we can make sure we're all on the same page in terms of understanding what's going on so that uh, we can really understand the impact of that question. So Jesus and his disciples were from the region of Galilee. They were traveling and and now had arrived in Jerusalem to be able to celebrate the Passover feast, which was was considered the greatest uh, celebration uh, on on the calendar, uh, the Israeli calendar. And uh, they came together uh, as... as, um, families, as extended families, but as Israelites to celebrate what God had done during the Passover and setting them free from bondage in Egypt. And so it was a great celebration, but, but Jesus knew that this would be the last Passover that he would celebrate with his disciples because he knew that now was the time when he would be betrayed, arrested, convicted, crucified. He also knew that he would be raised again to new life and that shortly after that he would ascend to heaven to take his rightful place at the right hand of God. And so knowing all that, he understood that that his time was short 
with his disciples in terms of training and, and teaching them and preparing them for life, for the mission that he had for them. And so he wanted to make the most of that. In Luke's gospel, uh, we read that Jesus sent Peter and John to prepare the Passover meal for them. And that was, that was a big job. This was going to be an all-day preparation thing. So he sent them in early to prepare that. But since they weren't from Jerusalem uh, uh, or from that area, the natural question was where? Well, yeah, we'll do that, Jesus, but where? And so they asked him, and he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. Apparently, Jesus had made plans uh, and preparations with this uh, owner of this house prior to this occasion to, to be ready for it. And, and if you go to Jerusalem now, uh, if you were to travel there today, you can visit what is called the traditional site of the upper room. Uh, the building they take you to, the actual room that you would stand in, was built in the 14th century. So obviously not the room uh, that uh, Jesus and his disciples met in. But they would say that it was upon this site, this, this foundation, this very location was where the upper room was. Actually, all we know about the location of it is what we read in, in Luke's gospel here. And, and did you notice he didn't even say for sure which city he was talking about? I mean, the assumption is that it was Jerusalem. But oftentimes, Jesus stayed in one of the smaller towns near Jerusalem when he went and visited there. So we don't even know that for sure. So we don't know where exactly these things took place, but we do know what happened in that upper room. At the proper time, Jesus and the rest of the disciples arrived at the designated locale. Presumably, Peter and John had been there all day making the preparations, and, and you know, they're there working alone. And then the next thing you know, uh, the place was filled up and swarmed with these excited people ready to celebrate this great occasion. And you know what it's like when you get together for a holiday um, uh, celebration. There, there's uh, all this festive quality to all the interactions and, and people are happy and excited about what's going on. And for the Jews, as I said, this was, was the, the biggest holiday uh, celebration of, of the year. There would be great feasting, uh, but there would also be a time of, of solemn observance of what God had done for them. And so it would be a lot like what we've just experienced with our Christmas celebration. And so uh, as they were there, uh, it came about time to actually eat, to observe the Passover meal. And that's when a minor problem that had been kind of simmering in the background all of a sudden came to the forefront and attention. See, in that culture, it was customary as guests entered a house for a servant to be present to wash the attendees' feet. And if there was no servant uh, there, as, as you know, most Jewish households didn't, didn't have a, a slave or a servant, then one of the children got the job, since we all know, you know kids are basically slaves anyway. So it'd be... <laughs> Kidding. Kind of. But, uh, 
washing feet is a humbling chore. And so the job always went to the servant or the child of lowest status in the house. Now the problem in this particular situation is that they were in a borrowed room. There were no servants, no kids. It was just Jesus and the disciples. And in that particular circumstance, it was normal for the leader to designate someone in the group to do the dirty job. And the leader, of course, would pick the person of lowest status to do the job. Only Jesus never told anyone to do it. And guess what? None of the disciples volunteered. Now, we don't know for sure why nobody volunteered, but Luke tells us in his gospel that during the course of the meal, an argument broke out amongst the disciples, as Luke twenty-two twenty-four puts it, and there arose also a dispute amongst them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. So, since only the lowliest of slaves did the foot washing, a fighting about who was the greatest might have had something to do with why no one volunteered, right? Because it's hard to promote yourself as being the greatest when you're doing the chores and the work of the lowliest. So nobody did it. Foot washing uh, was more than an expected nicety uh, when you went into a house. I mean, walking was the main mode of transportation in those days. And, of course, on the road back then, uh, there were not only uh, used for human uh, transportation, but uh, you would find donkeys and horses and oxen and, and uh, herd, sheep herders would, you know, herd their sheep and their goats and all that kind of stuff down the same trail. I don't know if you've ever taken a stroll behind uh, a bunch of animals like that, but oftentimes... Uh, they leave little walking hazards along the way. And these deposits might be fairly easy to avoid when they're fresh, but in that hot desert sun, they quickly got dried out, and then they would get broken apart by the hooves of other animals or by careless pedestrians. And so it became all part of the dust. In fact, it became the main component of the dust that you were, you were walking upon. And, and since you wore sandals in hot sweaty uh, time, your ankles, your feet would just get coated with this manure dust. Now, since hygiene uh, back in those days did not attain necessarily to the same high standard that we have today, a little donkey poo on your feet might not have been that big a deal, except when it came time to eat. Because you remember, we've talked about it before, your, your dining room table is only about 16 inches tall, and, and you had throw pillows all the way around it, and you would lay down with your head uh, on, in, your, in your left hand on a pillow and, and use your right hand for grabbing food off the table. Well, to reach food on the table, you've got to be nearly parallel with the table, which means your feet are going to be up by the head of the guy about two people down from you. And the guy two places up from you, his feet are going to be by your head. And so you washed the feet before 
you ate. It made everybody's meal much more pleasant. But in this case, no disciple was willing to voluntarily do the job. So they all began the the greatest celebration feast of the year with dirty, stinking feet. And sometime, sometime during the course of that meal, presumably after they had been arguing about who was the greatest, it's not told for us for sure, but I kind of picture Jesus ending the argument this way. We read that Jesus got up from the supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself, and then he poured water into the basin, and he began washing the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So can you imagine the the stunned silence that must have filled that room? Everybody in that chamber, knew that this was not right. Jesus was the leader. He was the teacher. He was the rabbi. Important people didn't wash others' feet. That was a job for slaves. But here was Jesus down on his knees, grabbing first one foot and then another of each man there washing the filth and the stench away. And we have no idea how many disciples Jesus went through in complete silence without a a word being spoken. Perhaps it was all of them except for one. But by the time he got around to Peter, Peter couldn't stand the wrongness of this situation any longer. And he asked, Lord... Do you wash my feet? I've told you before, you know, in the Greek, you can, you can, you can emphasize different aspects uh, of something by, by the order. You can put the word order of a sentence any, any way you want to emphasize different things. And, and in this case, he asks, Lord, do you my feet, my feet wash? See, he, he, he saw that that was wrong. And Jesus at that point tried to, to gently teach him and said, well, you know, you, you may not get it right now. You may not understand what I'm doing right now, but, but just hold on for a bit. You're going to get it later on. But Peter, being rather impetuous and prone to sticking his foot in his mouth, whether it was washed or not, said... Never shall you wash my feet. And and guess what? By current cultural standards, Peter got it right. Right? You, You get that, right? Jesus shouldn't have been the one down on the floor washing feet. That's not what leaders, that's not what great people do. At least as the world defines it. And I think the Same thing is true in our culture today, although foot washing has become a a, a thing of the past because of that marvelous new invention they call socks. You know, you you don't have to worry about that so much. But 
there's an attitude that permeates our society where many people believe that a certain job or, or a task, a, 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 the thing that needs to be done is, is beneath them. They wouldn't, you know, hardly anybody would ever say that, right? You don't actually say it's beneath you because that would make you sound snarky and nobody wants to be labeled as snarky. But they would just maybe do what the disciples did. Ignore it. Pretend that it doesn't exist, this, this need, this problem. Hope that somebody else will do it. Or maybe they'll just simply say, well, I don't, I don't really want to do that because it's gross or it's hard or it's humiliating. All those definitions obviously would fit foot washing. But there was Jesus doing it. And Peter, he didn't want to put Jesus in that position. I mean, the other disciples, yeah, they might have let Jesus wash their feet, but not Peter. No way. He wasn't going to have Jesus humiliated in that way. And so Peter says, no way, right? He, he was humble enough to get the incongruity of the situation that it shouldn't be, but he was proud enough to presume to tell the master what he should and should not do. And so he does, you know, a little expostulating and declares, no way. You're, you're, you're not going to wash my feet. And, and Jesus then said something just a little bit odd. He says, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Does that, does that mean Jesus was going to kick him out of the group if he didn't let him to do this? Well, that's, that's, that's not really the idea. It's, it's the idea of, of identification. Jesus was saying, you know, if, if you want to be part of what I'm doing, if, if you want to be my disciple and be like me, if you want to be part of this movement of God and what he's doing here on earth, then you need to humble yourself and allow me to wash your feet. And, and Peter was like, whoa, okay, if that's the case, well, then, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and head and all this kind of stuff. And, and then this is where we realize that this had not only a physical uh, application, meaning, uh, but also a, a spiritual lesson to it. Um, Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So at this point, we understand Jesus was talking to him about being clean in heart and in spirit, being right with God. And the 11 disciples were, Judas was not. And that spiritual lesson, that's a whole nother sermon just all by itself, right? But today I want to focus on the immediate physical lesson, which is what Jesus himself focuses on. So that brings us right up to Jesus' question. So, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Now, without being blasphemous or even a little bit disrespectful, doesn't that sound like a dumb question? I mean, can't you almost hear Peter, who has that tendency to spout off stupid things, can't you almost hear him saying, well, duh, of course we know what you've done to us. We were right here. 
But obviously, this question was not intended to get the disciples to simply regurgitate the facts of what they had seen. This was one of those questions that was designed to make you say, you know, I saw what happened, but I think something deeply profound just took place here. Do you know? Do you know what I have done? Jesus wanted them to to think deeply about that experience. And more than that, he wanted them then to realize the implications for their own lives. And, And I believe that God had this account recorded for us in Scripture because he wants us to do the exact same thing. So after asking the question, Jesus did not allow Peter or any of the other disciples time to utter anything stupid. He went straight into the lesson that he wanted them to get. So first, he, he, he talks about the elephant in the room. He bring, brings out and identifies the incongruity of the situation. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Right? Let's get that out right away. I'm the one. I am teacher and Lord in this room. They had previously been arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest, and the answer was simple. None of them. Right? Jesus was the greatest person in the room. Now, chances are they understood that, right? Chances are they were arguing about who was the greatest beside Jesus in, in the room. But see, Jesus was forcing them to, to latch onto that point that he, of all people in that room, deserved to have someone volunteer to wash his feet. But because none of the disciples were willing to wash anybody's feet, they didn't wash the master's feet. He was... Lord and Master. He was the boss. They were their servants. That was the rabbi-disciple relationship in those days. All the disciples of any particular rabbi were considered to be his servants. And not one of them would wash the Master's feet because they were afraid that would mean they'd have to wash the other servants' feet. So having established the obvious, right, he moves into the lesson. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Oh, so, so now this question, do you know what I did to you, take, takes us a little bit deeper, right? It's not just that Jesus washed their feet. It's that he gave them and us, an example to follow. An example of one of of willing and loving service to someone else. There was something that needed to be done that should have been done, and someone should have been willing to meet that need. Again, we 
aren't told exactly what sparked that, that previous argument about who was the greatest. But uh, the opposite of the greatest is the least, right? And in the mind of all those disciples, it was the least of them who should have got stuck washing feet. So you wanted to argue that you were better than the others so that somebody else would get stuck with that job. And Jesus was trying to tell them, if you're going to fight about anything, you should fight for the opportunity to serve. By his example, Jesus flushed that whole system of status right down the toilet. He was telling them, forget about who's the greatest or who's the lowliest. In my kingdom, it's not about status. It's about serving. See, God's economy, God's God's kingdom, things don't work the way they do in the world system. And the disciples, they should have known this because according to the gospel of Mark, this is exactly what Jesus had been teaching them on the way to Jerusalem. See, as they were traveling to Jerusalem, James and John thought they had a great idea. They came up to Jesus and said, Hey, we want you to reserve for us the the top two spots in your kingdom. And when the rest of the disciples heard that, they got ticked. Probably ticked because they didn't think about asking for that. Well, how come, you know, we should have done that. And they were mad at them. And so Jesus took this as a, a teaching opportunity. Mark chapter 10 says, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. In his kingdom, it's about serving, not having status or authority or the ability to lord it over others. And Jesus made it clear that this ethic of his kingdom applies to absolutely everybody, even himself, Because he went on to say, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he mentioned the ultimate service, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I know we've all heard the saying that actions speak louder than words. So Jesus took the words that he had been teaching them on the way to Jerusalem and now by actions he taught them that very same lesson. So put yourself there for just a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Christ, Put yourself in that room as a disciple. Can you imagine Jesus 
washing your feet. Can you picture the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, getting down on his hands and knees to gently place your feet in a basin of water? Can you feel the creator of the universe, his hands, as he begins to scrub the filth and the stink off of your feet? Can you see the Lord of all, the master, on the floor, wiping your feet with a towel? while you sit over him. How does that make you feel? And see, the truth is, he did so much more than that for us, didn't he? And now he asks, do you know what I have done to you. Jesus modeled a, a heart of service, a heart that says, I don't care about status. I don't care what other people think about me or about this task, this job I'm going to serve. I I'm going to do what must be done in order to meet the needs around me no matter what it costs me. So can our hearts have that same attitude that was in Christ Jesus as we enter a new year? Instead of looking at how we can get out of things, can we choose to serve my family? If you're married, you choose to serve your husband, your wife. If you have children, how do you serve your children? What about your church family? Am I willing to choose to serve? Or am I better at making excuses? At doing what the disciples did and ignoring the stinking feet around that needed to be dealt with? How about our community? Can, can we serve our community in such a way that they'd say, man, there's just something about those people. I wonder what it is. Jesus ended this time of teaching with a very simple but profound truth. He said, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Father God, 
Jesus asks some tough questions. And God, we pray that you would develop in us a heart of willingness, of love to be able to serve. Not worrying about status, not worrying about what others think, but simply wanting to love and meet needs. And God, we know that it's not within us to do that on our own. So we ask for you to do that transforming work in our hearts, that we would be people who would follow the example of Jesus, serve one another. Pray this in Jesus' name.